<clears throat> hey, Reg, how you doing, sir? <clears throat> yeah, let me clear the uh, clear the instrument. <laughs> you can't you can't really clean the instrument, but <clears throat> you can clear the instrument for those of us whose instrument is simply their mouth, nothing else, just our mouths. <laughs> okay, my friend, are you ready to go? I am. Put it in the books, 386, episode 386-er. All right, are you set? Finger on the trigger? All right. Three S's, star, smile, strong. Here we go, ready? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Pull back the curtain, and we're right in the spotlight. Yes, sir, right there for you. To binge, to listen to, to be entertained, informed, and to enjoy every week. But... Long-time listeners will know that's just not enough. you got to get a little elbow grease in there, too, on your side of the microphone. So get out there and tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. And don't forget, you go to WGNRadio.com, you... Go to the podcast section, and then you hit the prompt for this podcast. And then, stand clear. Clear the field. You will find podcast after podcast after podcast. Just keep scrolling down and loading more. I've been doing this since... 2016. This is episode 386. Over the course of this podcast, as I just said, I've been doing this since May of 2016. Uh, I have talked to you about some of my childhood idols, some of my childhood heroes. Uh, whatever you want to call them, uh, people that uh, influenced me in some way or entertained me or grabbed my attention, some of them that I I tried to emulate or just um, was drawn to them for whatever reason in, in various lines of work. Some were sports-related, especially as a little kid. Other times, later on, music and uh, entertainment-oriented. Politically, you know, politician-wise. It runs the gamut. And I've been lucky, fortunate is really the word, uh, to have met 
most, if not all, of those people who, from an early age, I, 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 I admired and was a fan of and, um, and looked up to or certainly looked at with some kind of, of excitement or reverence, whatever you want to call it, whatever, whatever those emotions that we have, and sometimes they're hard to, to really pin down as to why you like someone or why you're a fan of someone. It's, 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 it's a chemical reaction sometime. I mean, obviously, um, if there is a, uh, some kind of a performer, especially music, I'm very moved by music, but um, also by people in entertainment, actors, actresses. Um, but there's something about, I mean, I, I, you know, why is it that you can listen to a certain song and and have this this deep connection to it and i can listen to the same song and perhaps appreciate it but not be overtaken by it and vice versa i can listen to an, a specific artist or a specific song or or see a specific movie uh, or hear you know, even from a politician or some some world figure see a speech or see something that that moves you that 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 takes you in that draws you in uh, to not to more than just appreciating it or even experiencing it but then it leaves a mark on you it leaves you wanting more I, I it's hard to put as I said it's hard to put it into words it's hard to to uh, to articulate what it is which I think is actually a good part of it. Uh, that's the mystery. But, uh, and, and, and so oftentimes people will ask me, like for instance, everybody knows, right? right my nickname is Elton Jim. Uh, you know, why Elton? And I have tried my best to explain it and articulate it and, and convey the emotion or the reaction or the excitement or whatever that is that that the connection that that it makes me feel i mean so often especially with music but a lot of times with entertainment in general or or anything i mean it's it's really some of the things that we that we grow up with that become those those long time uh you know favorites because they become so associated in our minds with specific times in our lives or events in our lives or eras in our lives. And as we are developing, they perhaps helped shape us in some way. And the older you get, um, you know, a lot of those, those early building blocks of who you are and your personality and likes or dislikes have already been established. And so a lot of times, the older we get, we don't have as many quote-unquote idols or we don't get as many, you know, we're not influenced as as much as many but or as we were in, in, in our early years. But But we still can certainly be motivated and excited by someone later on or something uh, but there's not usually as many but you know you some suddenly you have an epiphany and something just strikes you at the right time so it's very hard to explain it 
but you know it. And as I've said, when I was a little kid, um, as most little kids, especially back when I was growing up in the in the mid seventies or so, um, you know, the it's a different it's a different world. Certainly, we know that with the with you know social media and and now this cancel culture and things like that. Uh, our culture has shifted. There's no question about that. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, right or wrong, once again, I've always I always say the reason why I'm I'm against this cancer cancel culture is because um, I just feel like uh, you know we are, and I don't know who is the judge. I don't know who's sitting there judging this, but because of social media. These things take on a life of, life of their own. I don't know who has this this great moral high ground or this this is, is this ultimate judge. There's somebody out there who's very uh, media social media savvy and that has the the burning desire to somehow show their superiority uh, and their their moral high, their moral high ground. But I always feel that it's kind of unfair. Because it's hard to judge someone out of their time and out of what is the norm of the, their times. And I feel that's the, that's the real injustice of, of, this, of our society today, this cancel culture, is that it's, it, it's judging people, both contemporary people and a lot of historical people, by our views and our enlightened views. And it's it, to me, it's unfair in many cases to take people out of their times. I got news for you. The people that are, that are uh, passing judgment on others in terms of who should be canceled and who this is terrible... Um, based on what's happening in the last, you know, not only in the last 25 years, 23 years of this century, this first quarter of the of this of the 21st century is not going very well, folks. Let's just be honest. And history is going to be very brutal on us right now. In another 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, or even perhaps when we're gone. But I could tell you right now, we maybe won't be around to know it or, or understand it. But what we think right now is right and what we think is wrong culturally and what we are, are, are destroying in many people's lives about. 50, 60, 70 years from now, people are going to look back at us and say, what were those Neanderthals thinking? And we, we right now are on this moral high ground, and people in 50, 60 years are going to look at us like we were cavemen in what we believed and how we acted. But we're in the moment, and so what we think is doing, what we're doing is right. Just as people... 500 years ago who are now being 
persecuted or criticized or, or canceled or diminished because they lived in a time when that was the norm. We should, we should certainly point things out, but doesn't it make sense that, thankfully, society has moved forward and has evolved? Rather than persecuting the past, we actually should be embracing the present to say, isn't it good that as a society, as a civilization, we don't act that way anymore? We don't think that way anymore like they did 500 years ago. That's something to celebrate. We should celebrate our our moving forward and our evolution and our enlightenment and our education and our and uh, and our expanding our our views on behavior and people we should celebrate that but we we don't have to diminish or criticize or admonish or cancel or 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 or, or make uh, you know, character assassinations, or or make people seem evil and 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 terrible, because they were simply living within the constructs of society at their time, with the amount of knowledge that they had. So, to me, I think it's very hypocritical. I think it's it's these people that are that are castigating and judging people and all this this uh you know cancel culture is very hypocritical and it's 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 destructive in that it's very it's in it's in it's it's unjust and it's as i've said many times it's very narcissistic to think that you know everything and Anybody who came before you doesn't didn't know anything and acted abhorrently. They were acting within their times. And as I said, trust me, those who are passing judgment today will have judgment passed on them in 50 or 60 or 70 years when the society looks back at the beginning of the 21st century in the beginning of the 2000s and looks back at at the way we've been acting they are not going to speak well of us i mean this century basically started with a horrific um you know terrorist act against the united states on 9/11 and 23 years later have we have, have we gotten any better? 23 years after that, 22 years after that, another horrific terrorist attack in Israel just took place over the last couple of weeks. So in 25 years, we're basically at the same place we were, reliving that same kind of those those same emotions and the same violence and evil, the rhetoric, the words you are hearing today to describe 
the attacks of, of Israel are, are very similar to the same type of rhetoric and, and, and descriptions and reactions that we had in 2001. So how far have we moved? And in between that, we had a pandemic in which completely divided the world. We've got social media that has completely divided the world. It's, 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 it's not been a good 20-some years so far. And I believe history will, will, will view it that way. But we're in the midst of it right now and going, hey, we're, this, is, this is the way to do it. Well, we'll see how those in the future look back at how, th- how smart we think we are as a society. Because we certainly think that we are very smart and we do everything right. And history is going to brutally judge us. Just as we are brutally judging the past. I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but I will say I do know how I got off on that tangent because I was saying in, 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 when I was a little kid in the 70s, for instance, um, you know, most of, you know, the, the, the sexual or the gender, I should say, you know, the gender roles were very defined and specific. I'm not saying it was right. I'm not saying it was wrong. I'm just saying what it was. Yes, in 50 years, our society has moved forward. 50 years ago, the thought, for instance, of gay marriage would be not even, it wasn't even in the zeitgeist. It wasn't even discussed in the mainstream, certainly in the in the in the homosexual world there was there was a hope there was you know sadly people's lives were 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 destroyed and people were closeted because of the stigma because of the prejudice no question not saying it was right but admitting it existed and this is my point shouldn't we be impressed or celebrate the fact that 50 years later we're still not in those quote-unquote dark ages you know we talk about the dark ages like oh well those were 500 years ago well were they really i could argue that there's there have been dark ages five years ago i could argue there were there were dark ages 15 years ago and i could argue there were dark ages 50 years ago that 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 many of us have lived through we should be we should be happy that we have moved forward i'm not condemning the the, the fifth, that went on 50 years ago that was the mindset that was the amount of 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 knowledge we had that was the amount of education we had that was that was a time when people were we're thinking of the world in very black and white terms. There was very little gray. Now you can argue there's a lot. There's too much gray, and there's not enough black and white in terms of of looking at a situation. But once again, I, you know. So my point is, uh, I'm talking about you know my 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 idols, for instance, when I was a little kid growing up in the mid seventies. 
you know, it was if you were if you were a, a little boy, you most likely were into sports in some way. You know, I mean, they they I, I've got pictures as a little kid. I mean, they gave you a mitt in a football. Now, not everybody played, not everybody was good at it, and everybody took to it. But you saw that was the, just the way today that parents, you know, give you know are, are trying are influencing their children with certain uh, behaviors and 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 exposing them to things. Well, that's what parents back then did. It's just that it was a different mindset. The parents then shouldn't be shouldn't be punished or or criticized because that was the way within our view of the world at that point we saw things and we have moved forward so we should be happy about that that we're not the same as 50 years ago when you were a little kid when you were a little boy for instance you know you were given a mitt or a football or you were given uh you know a, a cowboy hat or you played cops and robbers and if you were a girl, once again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you what it was. At that time, you know, hey, the biggest toy for a girl was, crazy to think about it now, the Easy Bake Oven. I don't see many Easy Bake Ovens today for girls. That's good. We've moved forward. We should be happy about that. The roles of a, of, of, are not as uh, strictly defined anymore. We have, over the last 50 years, our scope of knowledge has grown, our understanding of each other has grown, and thus our behavior has changed to match that. That's good. That shows that we, as a, as a, as a, as a species, as a race of, 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 of animals... Of of, of 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 inhabitants on this planet, our culture is moving forward. We are taking in more information. We are better educated, and hopefully, we are looking at things in a in a bigger, fairer way. But we're also very imperfect, and so it will never work. And as I said, you can say all that, and then say just like I did before, and at the same time, 22 years ago, a horrific, unprovoked terrorist attack on the United States, and 22 years later, another horrific, unprovoked attack in Israel. So as far as we have moved in many ways, sadly, the human being is imperfect, and we have moved forward in many ways, and in many ways we have remained stagnant. You're going to say, Jim, wow, wh- wh- what's, the, what's the point of this podcast today? <laughs> As I've said, I enjoy and sometimes don't even realize how I will take a detour the real topic of my podcast today 
has nothing to do with what I just talked about. What I want to talk about is a tribute to one of my childhood idols who just passed away, Chicago Bears legend Dick Butkus. Now, wow. How did I get into 9-11 and societal changes and cancel cultures when I was talking about Dick Butkus? Or that's my goal to talk about Dick Butkus. But I'll tell you why. Yes, it does make sense. So bear with me, and I'll show you where the dotted lines are, and I'll show you why that little detour is necessary. Because... I'm trying to explain to you why, as a little kid, someone like Dick Butkus was one of my idols, if you will, my early idols or someone that I looked up to, whose poster I had up in my room, and why? Because of the fact that when I was growing up as a little kid, that was who you look to for your, as your heroes or your idols and what they epitomized as to the culture that we were in at the time. As I've said to you many times, uh, some of my early idols were sports-related because I, I did play sports you know, when I was a little kid. I did get a, a, a mitt and a ball. I did get a football. I did get a hockey stick. I did get a basketball. You know, I was never keen. I did. I was, I'm, I'm looking around. I never had a cowboy hat. I don't see myself ever like wearing a cowboy hat. I was never, I never, I, I, I think I had a, like a, a pistol, but I was never into Cops and robbers, that wasn't my thing. I was never into to cops and robbers. I was never into westerns. That just, I don't know. Even today, I don't, I don't, I, I will watch a western, but I will watch more of the westerns that are more of a, have, have a, have a, of a plot or a story than just the shoot 'em ups. As I said, that's why I'm not a big, you know, fan of of move of the newer movies today. I'm, I'm I don't like explosions and car chases and all that stuff. It's just not my thing. And certainly, as I said, we are influenced by what our parents like. Especially in my case, being an only child, they were my role models. They, I was with them more than I was with my friends or or potential siblings. So what I observed, I observed my parents quite a bit because I was with them quite a bit. But I do remember one day in my room when I was a little kid, one day my dad came home with several posters. I don't know what brought this on. I'm not really sure why. Uh, But I was probably, you know, six seven years old, and one day my dad came home with these four posters, and we hung them in my room. I really didn't choose them, per se. He chose them. I didn't go to the store with them and say, 
oh, I want that one or that one or that one. He almost kind of chose them for me in, in many ways. I was aware of these players, and certainly in Chicago at the time, they were the dominant players among the dominant players of in Chicago sports. But he brought home a poster of Ron Sano, of Bobby Hull, of Tony Esposito, and Dick Butkus. And so there we had it. We had baseball, football, hockey. And I remember him putting those up and, you know, we're putting them and even, even had like somebody that he knew made kind of wooden frames for them, you know? So this was clearly, you know, my dad's effort at the time to sort of steer me in the way of either these were his favorite players or, you know, Every kid should play sports. I I don't know. But all I know is those were the four posters that were up in my room for a good two and a half years. Interestingly enough, until I discovered Elton John at around age nine. And then my room started to shift. You know, now you start to get your own personality. And suddenly, um, I found an Elton John poster. And so I took down one of the sports posters and put up an Elton John poster instead. And and then I bought another Elton John poster and took another of the sports. I still like sports, but Elton was just... The music and the the flamboyance and the costumes it, it it just it it as I said at the beginning I can't explain what the reaction was the chemical reaction but I knew that I shifted away I still admired those 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 sports heroes and I still followed them and they remained you know important idols and 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 people that I would emulate. When I played those sports, and Dick Butkus was certainly one of those. And so when I heard of his passing, um, in in fact, it it hit me when Dick Butkus passed away a couple of weeks ago at, at age 80, was that now all four of those posters, Ron Sano, Bobby Hull, Tony Esposito, and now Dick Butkus have all passed away. All four of them are gone. And uh, it did strike me. And in fact, I went online and I found the image of the Dick Butkus poster that I had in my room. I was able to find it online. And I I knew exactly, I mean, I could close my eyes and tell you exactly what the poster looked like. And I went online and I searched and I searched and boom, I found, I'm like, oh, there it is. And the thing about Dick Butkus is it, it, he does, he certainly does um, exemplify 
someone of that era and of that time. Um, you know, he's known as a uh, as a as a hard nosed player, uh, one of the all time greats. He epitomized the role of linebacker. When you heard people talking about him days and weeks after his passing, not only was there great respect and reverence for him, but you continually heard how he attacked and and played football with a relentless energy and 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 almost an aggression. And in today's world, that is certainly downplayed. And and you know that that kind of machismo. I mean, football is still the 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 most popular sport in the country, and yet, once again, as a society, we are moving forward. We have you know, football has changed its rules. We realize this is a violent game. We have changed rules so that the people that are playing it will get injured less, even though I don't know how you can ultimately, you know, uh, change the rules without changing the game. At its core, football is a violent game. There's no question. And what's funny is when you see when you watch a football game today, the equipment is, is, is designed better to absorb the shock and the hits, the helmets, the pads, the way people tackle, when, you can, how, when, when they'll blow the whistle so that there won't be an injury to protect the quarterback, especially since many times the quarterback is blindsided. But at the end of the day, it's a violent game. The goal is still the same. You, 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 the, the defense is trying to stop the offense from moving forward, and that means tackling and hitting. There's a, you know, if, if somebody has to gain two yards, it's, it's the defenseman's job to drive that person back. With pure brute strength and aggression, and yes, anger. I mean, when you see some of the film clips of Dick Butkus playing football from, say, 1965 to 1974, played nine years in the NFL, and you see some of these hits, the way he, 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 attacked these runners and hit them and pummeled them down and the, and and the the the, uh, the equipment wasn't as as well designed or big to take that those those offensive players that did get tackled they were punished they felt it and football like everything else 50 years ago was different. It was a different culture. Now people could say, oh my God, this guy looks like a maniac. Well, compared to today's 
football, for instance. He probably does look and sound like a maniac. But back then, that's the way the game was played, and that was considered the standard of how to play the game. As time has gone on, we have seen, once again, we have learned, we have gained more knowledge, and we've realized that, wait a minute, you know, sadly, many of these players that played in the the 60s and 70s have gone on, and 80s, have gone on in their later lives to have serious physical and especially neurological disease and problems because of the constant hitting, especially to the head. And we see so many players in their later years uh, come down and die from Alzheimer's or dementia or have uh, major physiological as well as physical problems. Have you ever seen Mike Ditka walk? He was, he was limping when he was in his 50s and 40s. It was a different game. It was a different era. You can't say that Dick Butkus was a savage who had no uh, conscience. But if you see the way he hit these guys, you could say that, but that wouldn't be fair. That's the way the game was played. That's the way the thought process of that day was. We have now learned that we could still play football, but we can do it in a somewhat safer way. But then, once again, you see players every week. That's the the irony of football, is every play a football player's career could be over. Every time they go into that huddle, it could be the last huddle they're ever in for their lives. Not that they're going to die, but that they could come. They, there's no guarantee they're going to come back to that huddle again. They might get hurt in such a way that their career is over. Look at, look at Aaron Rodgers. Just signs a $75 million contract for two years, I believe, with the New York Jets. And four plays into the new season. Four plays. Not four quarters. Not four minutes. Four plays. He gets tackled and rips his, 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 his Achilles tendon. And he's been tackled and he has been sacked through his, out, his career hundreds of times. Why that time? What happened that time? Where his foot landed the wrong way when the guy, the guy, the hit, this was not some cheap shot tackle that injured Aaron Rodgers. Far from it. Not at all. Was a tackle like any other tackle. But his foot was in the wrong position. The tackle came from a certain angle. Boom. Four plays. Knowing Aaron Rodgers, he certainly will make an attempt to come back and play, but there's no guarantees that he is going to play again. An Achilles tendon is a very difficult injury to come back from. I, I didn't rip mine, but I did tear it, and it was a, a six-month six total healing process. And I'm not, 
And, and that was just to walk again and be active, not to play football again. And that was from September to May. <laughs> that was a six or seven month ultimate healing process. So I know from personal experience that uh, Aaron Rodgers has a, a long road ahead of him and to then go back to not just to walk around and be able to, to be active in some way, but to go back and play professional football, wow, he's got a, that's, it's going to be interesting. But the play before that, he was in the huddle expecting to play that whole game and never went back to another huddle. But to get back to Dick Butkus, um, a very interesting uh, guy. He, he's First of all, he's, he was from Chicago. He went to uh, Chicago Vocational High School in the south side of Chicago. Then he went to the University of Illinois. And then he was drafted by the Bears. So you cannot get more Chicago than that, which is one reason right off the bat why Dick Butkus was so embraced. Chicago loves its own, and Chicago loves when its own is successful and actually gets a national or international level of success. Chicago will always celebrate its own. But then if you are able to excel past just Chicago on a national level, oh my gosh, you can own you can own the city. And Dick Butkus for much of his at least playing career did own the city. As I said, he had a tenacity and an aggressiveness that came to epitomize not only the trademark for the Chicago Bears, which sadly is not a trademark anymore, (laughs) but he defined the role of middle linebacker. When I was a little kid, you know, I had those four posters of Ron Sano, Bobby Hull, Tony Esposito, and Dick Butkus. And when I was a little kid, we played football, tackle football. This is crazy to think about this. I can't believe our parents let us do it. I can't believe our neighbors let us do it. I can't believe we wanted to do it. But as I said, I was like six or seven or eight years old. We were too young to you know, get on our bikes and drive to a park. And there was no such thing as a soccer mom back then. Many moms didn't even drive. So we played football. We played tackle football on the front lawns of our house. And within the houses of, you know, maybe five or six houses. I can't believe that these neighbors let us play on their grass. But we would be running and tackling each other on the grass 
in front of maybe four, five, six houses on our block. And many times, and you try to run on both the grass by from the street to the sidewalk, and then there's the sidewalk, and then there's the the grass from the sidewalk to the house. So so you wouldn't get tackled on the cement. You certainly tried to run on either side of the sidewalk to get tackled when you're going to get tackled, at least on the grass part. But sometimes that didn't happen. And you were tackled on the cement. And we had helmets and shoulder pads and pants. I mean, we had the football equipment. But we were, I I can't, and I can't believe that you know, that the people were letting us play football on their grass. (laughs) But we did. That was, once again, I don't know how right it was. You don't see it done anymore. But so once again, we've moved forward. You know, no, kids, it's not safe to play tackle football on a combination of, of, of grass and cement. So thankfully, in the last 50 years, once again, we have been more enlightened as a society. You don't see that anymore, right? <laughs> that's good. We've moved forward, but that's what we did. And I had on a f- number 51 jersey, Dick Butkus's number. That number is forever associated not only with Dick Butkus, it's associated with the position of linebacker. Dick Butkus, Chicago born and bred, transcended Chicago, became a national figure, ultimately a football Hall of Famer and a legend. That number is immediately identified. Anybody who watches football, not just in Chicago, I th- but certainly if you're in Chicago, when you see the number 51, it's Dick Butkus. Even if I go to a game at a high school, or even if I'm maybe, I don't really, I never had kids, so I didn't really, uh, wasn't around it, but if I'm for some reason at a park and there's a little peewee football going on, if I see a kid wearing number I see 51 anywhere on any sport uniform. But certainly, if I see number 51 on a, any kind of a sporting field played at any level, whether it's, it's peewees, pop warners, high school, college, pros, whatever it is, if I see the number 51, I immediately think of Dick Butkus. And I had a 51 jersey and wore it proudly. And what was so amazing about Dick Butkus's career, not only was it how he played the game, so tenacious, uh, he truly hated the other team on the field. Off the field, it's a different story. But... I mean, today, my gosh, you see people, and you know, there's the trash talking that goes on. But many times, players during a game will will you know 
congratulate, pat the guy on the other team on the back. Like, nice play. There's trash talking. But a lot of times, there isn't. And then when the game is over, my gosh, I mean, the guys are all talking to each other on the field and hugging and even praying together. In Ditka's era, that you would never, that would never, you are, you are the enemy. In that stadium and on that field, you are the enemy. There's no, there's no, there's no high fiving. There's no hugs. There's no praying together with the opposition. Now you could say once again, wow, it sounds like this guy was a Neanderthal. It sounds like this guy was. No, he was playing the game with tenacity because ultimately, while we have tried to mask it, football, as I said before, is a violent sport. And the goal is to stop the other guy from moving forward any way you can. Physically. And that is not something, and, 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 it's, to, and it's to tackle them and push them down. It's a violent act. So it's hard to do a violent act with a smile on your face. So you can argue, you know, is football viable? That's another discussion. But the fact is, if we're going to accept football and the violence that is at its core, then we have to, we have to also accept what it takes to perform that act. And Dick Butkus's mindset was, you are not going forward as long as I'm on this field. Now, I can say, I sadly, I remember Dick Butkus playing, but I didn't see him in his prime. I, was, I wasn't born yet, and I, wasn't too, I was too young as I was coming of age. By the time I discovered Dick Butkus, it was toward the last couple of years of his career. And he already had been injured several times. He had really bad knees. He had knee surgeries was the main reason why he retired. He was only 31 years old when he retired. I mean, my gosh, look at, look at uh, Tom Brady. He was 45. But in those nine years that he played, he made such an impact on football and how the role of middle linebacker should be played, he elevated the role of middle linebacker. Once again, if you, if you were playing football in Chicago in the 70s, you wanted to be a linebacker and you wanted to be Dick Butkus. And when I played football freshman and sophomore year in high school, I was, I played on the offense and the defense. Offensively, I was a fullback, but on the defense, I was a linebacker, like Dick Butkus. And as much as I've talked about the way I appreciated all the players that I, the, the sports players that I, I uh, you know, idolized, whatever word you want to use, when I look back at, at Ron Sano and Tony Esposito and Bobby Hull and Dick Butkus, they're, they, they, they have similarities and they also have differences. And I think that when I look at all four, I tried to incorporate many of their attributes into the way that I went about playing the game. You know, Butkus had a tenacity. 
And Ron Sano had a great enthusiasm. And and Bobby Hull had a great flair. And Tony Esposito had, in my in my view, a great understated uh, excellence. And I tried to incorporate all four of those types of views when I played my specific sports. I always saw Tony Esposito as, as a great sportsman and as somebody who went about his job in a very workmanlike way, who, who would perform at a high level and then after he performed wouldn't act like it was a big deal. He'd make a great save, an incredible save, and then he would just calmly flip the puck to the referee, put his head down, and go back to the net as if, hey, that's my job. As I said, Dick Butkus went on that field with great tenacity, with great focus, knowing what his job was, and nothing was going to stop him from doing that. Ron Sano played with a great love of the game, a great energy and excitement. He wasn't afraid to show his emotions when something good happened or when something bad happened. Bobby Hull was extremely talented and had a flair, not a flamboyance necessarily, but a flair, a charisma, the golden jet. And so I could see when I look back at when I played sports, I see that I really did try and did in many ways incorporate all of those attributes from those four players into how I conducted myself, how I prepared for a game, how I played the game, and how I viewed the game. And certainly, Dick Butkus taught me how to be the best or always try to be so focused and be the best at what you were doing. You can, you can argue about his methods back then, but really, behind all that tenacity and that aggression and that anger was ultimately a very simple motivation to be the best at what he was doing. And that has always been my goal. And that is what I learned from Dick Butkus. And what's interesting is he went on, he was only 31 years old, he went on to have a career as an actor, which many football players in the 60s and 70s as people's, uh, as the whole idea of promotion and television elevated certain personalities, we saw people like Joe Namath and Rosie Greer and, uh, and, and uh, Jim Brown and Merlin Olson and Fred Williamson and Fred Dreyer and Alex Karras. People forget, you know, Alex Karras, some people might, you know, who watch Webster, the old, you know, reruns of Webster might not even know that Alex Karras was a football player, much in the, like in the vein of Dick Butkus, a very brutal, uh, self-sacrificing, angry, aggressive player, just like Dick Butkus. 
And then on screen, he plays the lovable father. And Dick Butkus was in television shows and movies too. O.J. Simpson was, was an actor, had quite a, an acting career. He's still acting today, if you think about it. He's acting innocent, but <laughs> he's acting. And the great thing about Dick Butkus, to show just how great he was of a player, that as a little kid, you, you, know, you couldn't help but watch, when he was on the field, you couldn't help but watch number 51. You couldn't help. You were waiting, and most likely he was making the tackle. He was somewhere around that ball. And it goes to show you how great of a player he was. When he was on the Bears in those nine seasons, he never went to the playoffs. Back then, the playoff situation for teams wasn't as 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 wide or broad as it, as it is today. There weren't any wild cards. You had to win your division. Well, the Bears in the late 60s and early 70s were one of the worst teams in football, period. I believe in 1969, they were 1-13. And yet, throughout how bad the Bears were, I think, in the two seasons that Ditka played, or uh, Butkus played, uh, in the nine years, I think there was only two winning seasons, and that was it. The rest were all losing seasons. And yet, this guy dominated the defense, dominated football, epitomized the role of linebacker, and transcended how terrible the Bears were as a team by his own excellence. He was a pro bowler. He was the MV defensive player of the year on, on, on consistently horrible teams. That's how good he was. That even though his team was terrible, you could not deny his talent and ability and impact he had on the field. Sadly, like Dick Butkus is much like another Chicago legend, uh, and popular player in baseball, Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks, one of the best players in baseball history, was an MVP of the league, I think twice, Hall of Famer, 500 home runs, golden gloves, with the Cubs for, I don't know, at least 20 years, I would think, pretty close to it, and sadly, never played in the playoffs. Never played in the playoffs. And yet considered one of the best players of all time. And if if Butkus and Ernie Banks had ever been on good teams and had gotten more nationwide uh, exposure in the playoffs and in Super Bowls or in the playoffs in the World Series, as much as they are respected and revered, they would even be more held in esteem because more people around the world, or around the country at least, would have seen them play. But they never really got that national exposure to the degree that they deserved because they never played in those important games that had that nationwide exposure all the time. So it just goes to prove how good they really were because they became legends and and hall of famers 
without being on good teams. A lot of times, there's been very, very good players who have benefited from being on great teams. They may have been very good players, but their status and the, how they were viewed was elevated because they played on great teams. And they got thrown in with the other really great players on those teams, but they may not have always measured up. Whereas did, uh, Butkus and, uh, and Ernie Banks, they had to be so much better because they were on terrible teams and they still were able to perform at a world-class level, at a level that was among not just the best players of the day, but the best players of all time. And so I, uh, it really hit me. It was funny because Dick Butkus was just at, I believe, the first Bears game of the year this year in September last month at Soldier Field when the Bears were playing the Packers. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. And they showed him on the sidelines, and I saw pictures of him. And um, he, he had a cane. As I said, he had bad knees for years. And he was 80. But he still looked in, in pretty good shape, certainly for 80 years old. And it had been a while since I saw him. And it was good to see him, and he was you know wearing the Bears jersey. And and then, like three or four weeks later, he was gone. It was almost like he made that one last appearance where everybody could see him, because I hadn't seen him in many years, and then he was gone. I have been fortunate, as I said earlier, to have met many of those childhood idols of mine. Ironically, when my dad brought those four posters home, when I was probably six or seven years old, and he put those up on the walls of my bedroom. There is no way when I was six or seven I could have ever imagined that I would meet all four of those players. And yet I did. In fact, I met Dick Butkus uh, when I was in college. My senior year, I had an internship at Channel 2 News here in Chicago in 1985. And uh, that's the, what, the year that the Bears went you know, 15-1 and one and won the Super Bowl in January of 86. And so everything became Bears. And the, new, the nightly newscast here in Chicago basically... Of the third of the thirty minute broadcast, you know, eighteen minutes was Bears related stories. In nineteen eighty five, the Bears completely took over this city from September to January. It was Bears every minute, every day, and that's not an exaggeration. And so one day, I I uh, I I was assigned to uh, well, you know, get Dick Butkus. We'd like to interview Dick Butkus to see what he thinks of the Bears. 
And so they gave me his phone number. And I was literally shaking. Oh, my God, I'm going to call Dick Butkus. And so I have to, you know, become a professional here all of a sudden. Even though I had this guy's, uh, you know, poster in my room. I wore number 51 and, uh, you know, Dick Butkus. And now I'm calling up. I've got his phone number. I'm going to call him up. This is no chance meeting. I'm calling him up. And I remember him, you know, his voice and everything. And I dialed the phone and, hello. And I knew him instantly. It was Dick Butkus. And I'm like, Mr. Butkus, I'm Jim Toronto with Channel 2 News, blah, blah, blah. And we set up an interview. He's going to be in Chicago. And I went out there when they did the interview with him, and I got a chance to meet him. And I was just awestruck. Here was the guy that was on my wall. You know, years later, I did an impersonation on the radio of Ron Sano, one of my favorite Cubs of all time, and got to meet Ron Sano. When the Hawks got great and won their three Stanley Cups, I got to meet and spend time with both Bobby Hull and Tony Esposito. As I've said many times, to the point where Tony Esposito sent me Christmas cards and would recognize me by my first name. I I couldn't believe that and met Bobby Hull several times. In fact, one of my favorite Bobby Hull stories from a personal standpoint is Bobby Hull came on a radio show after the the season after the Blackhawks won their first cup in 2010. And he came on our show when we were broadcasting from live from the United Center and he sat down at our little makeshift you know, table there that was in the concourse. And he had just gotten, as an ambassador with the team, he had just received his Stanley Cup ring, the big gaudy rings now that everybody gets when they win you know, in a championship. And he was finished with his interview, and he walked away with one of the public relations people for the Hawks. He's walking down the concourse. And as he's leaving, I'm kind of tidying up. You know me. Uh, he's t- I was tidying up the table we were at. There were newspapers and stuff and things around. And as I'm tidying up, I find Bobby Hull's ring underneath a newspaper. He took his ring off, whether he was showing it to somebody or whatever, but he took off his Stanley Cup ring and left it on the table and it got covered up by a newspaper, and he walked away, didn't even know he had it on, or didn't know that he left it. So I'm moving the newspaper, and I look, and there's Bobby Hull's ring. And (laughs) for a second, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm holding a $40,000 ring in my hand, and... What do I do? There was an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. (laughs) But the angel prevailed. I didn't keep it. (laughs) I easily could have. But I didn't. And I ran down the concourse and I said, Bobby, your ring. Oh, thanks a lot.
<laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. But I also got a chance, as I said, I got a chance to talk to Dick Butkus and I got a chance to meet him. And he was a real nice guy. And in fact, I was just going through, I knew I had, I had football cards and baseball cards and hockey cards growing up. As I said, I loved sports played sports so i collected i mainly collected baseball and and hockey cards but i also bought i also collected football cards for a while and i knew uh, i sold a lot of them but i i kept some of my favorite players and so i kept my dick butkus card so when he passed away i said boy i know i know i've got the dick butkus card somewhere and it was so funny i totally remember this i found the dick butkus card that I had, that I, I imagine I had other ones too, but I had this one and I said, uh, and I looked at it and I remembered the card I had was a, was a younger Dick Butkus football card. And toward the end of his career, like many of players and many men in the mid early seventies, uh, he grew a mustache. <laughs> and so the, you know, seven or eight or nine-year-old me at the time, when I saw this card, it didn't look like Dick Butkus anymore because he had this mustache, which I believe he had till he died. And so I drew on the card a mustache (laughs) so it would look like Dick Butkus, which I'm sure now, of course, I mean, I didn't even bother to see the worth of the card because I destroyed the card. But in those days, you know, we used we used baseball cards and, and, and sports cards to put in our spokes to make a little clickety-click sound. We didn't have no idea that these things would be worth some of them would be, be worth thousands of dollars. They were they were throwaway things. So when I had that Dick Butkus card, you know, I had to be I had mine had to be very realistic. Little did I know that I was destroying the value, possible value of it, you know, 40 years later but there's my dick butkus card with a drawn-on mustache <laughs> oh the naive the naive the naivete of uh of little kids and the innocence but anyway um yeah when i heard about dick butkus's passing uh i was very sad because he was one of my childhood heroes. Uh, and I, I did remember the time I did get a chance to meet him and speak with him. And I just did remember my memories of him, both watching him play and then more, though, of trying to play like him and wearing that 51 jersey. And as I said, still just through osmosis, Whenever I see a 51, I think of Dick Butkus. Just as when I see a number 35, it's always Tony Esposito. Or when I see a number 10, it's always Ron Sano. Or when I see a number 9, it's always Bobby Hull. I would urge anybody that isn't familiar with Dick Butkus... But if you're a sports fan, go on YouTube, look up Dick Butkus, and look at some of the footage and watch how he played. It's old school football. It's it's rough and tumble football. It's football of another era. But it's also 
a guy playing football the way it was meant to be played. And more importantly, it's about a guy out to be the best that he can be and the best on that field. And in that case, Dick Butkus truly succeeded. There were only there will always only be one number fifty one. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 386. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen.